Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jennifer White, and I am here with my sister and co-host extraordinaire, Ellen Trackman. Hi. Hey. So this week, important topic in all houses with people who have young children, what is your favorite children's book? Do you have a favorite one? I do. I mean, I did when, when my child was younger. I mean, leading up to our interview where she wrote a children's book, not to give it away, great story, also wrote a book that's really educational and helpful for children to understand. I was trying to think of one that was really like similar that was like really helping kids understand. I couldn't think of a good one because I like the classic is like the kids really love reading like go dog go. <laughs> like I mm-hmm. remember that one as a kid too. Um, I mean, I've almost finished all the, that Harry was the Potter first books that I read then. all by myself. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one of the early ones as well. Um, what about you? What, what are your favorite kids? books? Uh, so, I mean, I think anything Sandra Boynton in our household was always a favorite. Uh, and then I do, I, I personally really love the belly. Yeah button beach one the hippo yep. one and i do refer the kids um belly buttons as bebos thanks to that ah, book. very nice <laughs> very nice and then there was one that i always loved called the paper bag princess that was like totally about like female empowerment and that you know you don't you, you don't need a, a guy to come slay your dragons for you that i always loved and i'd always like try to bring it out be like let's read this one and my child be like no and I'm like but I love this one (laughs) so it was my favorite (laughs) but I got overruled apparently but children's books are awesome and they're a great way to get subtle messages across to our kids and I think that's what this lady that we are going to talk to is, is talking about welcome Tess Casso to our podcast thank you for joining us Tell us a little bit about yourself and where your story begins. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show today. I'm very excited about this and to share my journey to where I am today. Um, I am 38 years old and I am an infertility and a heart disease advocate as I am someone who has both of those um that have been diagnosed within the last five years. Um, I was able to conceive my son, Ferris, through in vitro fertilization with my husband. Um, He is our last embryo, and um, he was one of two embryos in which I had transferred. Uh, The first was a miscarriage, and then the second and last was my, is is my son, Ferris, who is three now. And, Through that journey, I used to work for CBS News in Chicago, and when I was able to conceive my son, I decided it was time to start my own company, and I wanted to create something that the world didn't have yet that would be unique and passionate to me, and yet very helpful and positive for others, and I decided to write the I'm Very Ferris Children's Picture Book Series, which has IVF in the title, because I was doing some research and I saw there was nothing for children born via IVF 
with any kind of storybooks um, out there to tell it from their perspective. So I did not I, catch the IVF that I'm very uh-huh. generous until you just said that. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I often get asked, did you did you purposely name Ferris that for the title? I was like, no, no, no. The baby's <laughs> name comes first. The business name. <laughs> it was all just a very good coincidence. But um, I created the series and um, I recently uh, published in 2020 the second book in the series, I'm Very Ferris Takes the Bubble Bath. They're both, again, focused on IVF through a child's perspective, but allowing families to follow Ferris through his life adventures. Um, And for me, as someone who, again, suffered um, with infertility, was able to put my story out there in an actual pen to paper mode. Um, and, and then do you that, mind going back and telling us a little bit about your personal journey story? Kind of go start from the, the beginning and what led you sure. here and, and made you, I mean, I, I, you know, I think there's always a common theme, you know, we, we went through something, but I think people really like to hear and resonate as to, cause each story is unique. So what is, is your story that brought you here? Uh, my story that brought me to speaking out about infertility when not is because uh, my husband and I, come from backgrounds in which it wasn't anything that we were aware of or really knowledgeable of. And we realized later in life when we decided we wanted to start a family and it wasn't happening, just exactly what infertility means. And as rare as it felt at the time in our lives, it we suddenly realized was is something very common. Now, the one in eight couples is is a number for a reason, and we we're now realizing we are that one in eight couple that is suffering with this. When you were going through it, were you? So many people don't talk about it; they they don't realize there's so many others. Were you able to share with others or know that there were so many else, so so many other people going through it as well? Not at the time. And due to my career and just the so where I was in my life professionally, personally, I didn't talk about it and I didn't do anything on social media. It was just a different stage and time in my life and being so um, kind of deer in the headlights into what this meant that you are going to need medical assistance to even consider curing a baby. Um, we went about it very very personally closed off from the world, not really sharing much at all. Um, And now after the fact, you know, being an author and an infertility advocate and seeing just how much is out there to help people, um, even though my family story is complete now, I feel that, you know, seeing all the resources and trying to help other people understand that there are support groups and podcasts and books and organizations that you can utilize um, that are, are truly beneficial for you and or you and your spouse um, or partner. And um, it was just, you know, I, the more I learn now, the more I try to advocate for others. But at the time, no, I did not have any help. And so um, or anyone to talk to about this. And, and it was it was scary. And it was very unnerving. And it was unfamiliar territory that my husband and I were stepping into while working in very professional careers and balancing the ups and downs of 
what you need to do with IVF, anyone who has gone through it knows that your instructions change moment to moment. And <laughs> right. When it's you hard need to, to hide it as a professional, you know, that, you know, especially when you have a high profile or a high stress job and things like that. How did you balance that personally? I had a conversation with my boss at the time, and he also was very respectful of my private life um, and my personal choices and that, and um, said, listen, do whatever you need to do. Um, I'm, you know, the, the company's got your back and we're supportive and whatever you need to do, do it. And, you know, my husband and I often talk about, we were doing the very early for our fertility clinic was 6 a.m. blood work and 6 a.m. ultrasounds. It's actually great that they had something that early. Yep. We had 6 a.m. and we would snag it because I was taking the train from a suburb of Chicago to Chicago from work. So I was able to catch then, you know, a 636 train because I was able to get in and go to a different station than normal. But I was... Um, gone early morning to I wasn't getting home sometimes till 7 seven thirty at night and then knowing the next day I had to be at the clinic at six in the morning again and medications that I was doing in the suburbs versus in the city where I was working so it was very taxing on the time and personally um, mentally and financially but um, I had a very good like I said a good support with my my boss at the time um, being very understanding and like saying, you know, whatever you need to do, do. And my husband um, being able to make it work with his career to be there with me through a lot of the things to just be out in the waiting room while I would get blood work done and um, testing. And again, moment to moment notices of what you're going to do next. Right. Yeah, it's tough. So you went through a retrieval and I mean, you kind of alluded to earlier and I mean, it just kind of talk us through the highs and lows of that. Cause for every person, I think, you know, you, you go into this and these doctors get really excited and enthusiastic and they're like, you know, great success rates. We're going to do this thing. Like, how did that work for you? What did your process and in, in going through the IVF, how, how was that for you? Uh, well, I, I, I kept a journal, a, a binder here called Rainbow Baby Casso, our little fighter embryo. That could. And I kept in here when you open it up, um, you know, I've got all of my wristbands for when I would go in for, uh, I had a black tube for the surgery when I went in for the retrieval. And I've got in my binder right when you open it, I'm staring at a yellow post-it with the number seven on it. And uh, that is the number of eggs that were retrieved from me. The one and only wow. time we did retrieval. And I've got, he handed me a post-it with seven on it. And then oh, I, wow. so I've got number seven in front of me and um, we started with seven and over the natural process of how IVF works, we ended up actually with three embryos and um, I elected with my husband to do genetic testing um, because it was um, the best chance for me to have a positive, healthy pregnancy. And we lost one of the embryos and we had one embryo that was available to transfer. It was positive to transfer. And we had one embryo that came back with no result from the genetic testing. And um, at the time, my husband and I, we decided go forward with that positive embryo transfer and we would deal with the one that had 
no result later at another time because, hey, we had one positive embryo to transfer and that's all you need is one. Um, and that ended up being uh, our miscarriage and my our rainbow baby. Um, we lost that baby. Um, and turns out after doing that embryo that came back with no result and getting it retested, it ended up being positive for transfer. And that today is my son. That's amazing. I was going to say that was not the direction I was expecting to to go with that story because actually we just talked, and it hasn't come out yet as a time of us talking to this, that we just talked to somebody about disposition of embryos and that a lot of people go into this that with that kind of glassy-eyed, like wide-eyed, like the, the good one, it's going to work. And exactly what you said, we'll deal with the other one later. And then sometimes if it did work, you don't know how to deal with that. And so I was like, I was going to like question like, okay, so what did you do with that? Oh, wait, no, it was successful. <laughs> right, right. That no, yeah. that worked. And that's often a conversation, you know, do, being an advocate and speaker on infertility and miscarriage awareness and uh, IVF that, I, that my husband and I often sit at the table and, and talk about is all of these scenarios that I now know more about uh, that I'm not living through, but if I could go back in time, how much I didn't know I was stepping into accepting the role of I'm going to do IVF because originally, you know, staring at that number seven at the time when all seven eggs were fertilized, um, you know, technically I had seven babies there and, you know, our minds were like, Oh my God, we're going to have seven babies and not even knowing (laughs) what was about to happen with just the way genetics and biology and, and religion or whatever it is that you believe or want to subscribe to that, you know, time took its course and it turned out there were actually only three and then there were only two. And actually it was one in a possible, not sure, because I still have, I saved all of the messages from my portal and I have that message that one day where they said, you know, that one embryo did, has no results. You want to discard it? Do you want to donate it? Do you want to retest it? And all those answers, if I had gone in a different direction, I mean, that's my son right there. Yeah. That was, that was my son. And, um, you know, I, 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 the way that it played out is the way it was supposed to be, but you can't help sometimes but think about what if we had said this to this answer, what if that first transfer worked and what would we have done with that second one? Where would Ferris be today? Would he have made it? Would he be somebody else's baby? Um, you know, it's just, there's a lot of it, but then before I get too emotionally in it, I, I, I kind of stop and go, um, you know, our, our story was written this way and we don't have to worry about that. Right. Wow. That's incredible. So how is your pregnancy then? Since of course now you've gone through this, you know, fear and, uh, you know, a loss and things like that. Was it a good pregnancy, an easy pregnancy? It was a great pregnancy. I actually hit, I wasn't, I worked in HR at the time. And so even more so was very private, like I said, with my, my personal life in a media position and people, I swear, people did not know I was pregnant till the day before I took maternity leave. No, I had some, I literally had people coming in my office showing that are going, are you pregnant? (gasps) And I was like, I am nine months. (laughs) I'm, I'm 39 weeks. And it was like, people couldn't tell. And it wasn't, and it was just, 
um, it was kind of funny because, you know, when we were in HR and I'm like, you know, these are the absolute worst things you're supposed to be doing is asking <laughs> any woman that's pregnant and you're right? asking me, the manager. To, but um, that's no, I, I'm surprised I you had, didn't respond that way. Like you can't. I know. Right. <laughs> uh, I, it, but it was, I had a great pregnancy. Um, I personally did not enjoy being pregnant. And I, I often speak about that openly because, you know, as someone who's gone through infertility, I, I see a lot of the the mind stirring where people, well, I thought, you know, going through fertility and you say all you wanted was a baby and then you, you were able to have one, but you didn't enjoy it. And I, I want to be truthful. I didn't, I didn't enjoy pregnancy. I'm a very active person. I'm a very athletic person and I am um, very independent. And, and so I just, I like my pace of go, go, go. I like to have a glass of wine. I like to eat what I eat. I like to run. And as my body was changing, even though I was able to uh, quote unquote kind of hide my pregnancy, um, I didn't enjoy it. I, I knew that this was a miracle. I knew I was very excited for what was about to happen. But the, some people that say, oh, I love being pregnant. It was the best times of my life. I, I just want to be real. It, it was not. I was looking forward to the end result. I knew I had to go through this stage to get to that end result if I was carrying a baby. And um, I was excited for when I was able to have our baby. Um and, and deliver uh, a very healthy baby boy, which was a surprise to us because we never found out the gender. Oh, nice. Nope, never found out our gender. That's almost hard with, with pregenetic testing. I feel like I know, right? the results. It, you have to be like, don't show us that part. I know. And I had doctors from the whole time, you know, some would say, listen, I'm just going to, I understand you don't want to know. So I, I say it, or I say she, or I say he, or just don't worry. So like we, I would hear everything. Mm-hmm. And then of course you try to dissect it mm-hmm. and be like, all right, <laughs> wait, okay. Cause it is a, a, a high heart view or it is this, then yeah. the wife's tale is this or that. But, um, truth be told, I, my husband and I never found out and didn't want to find out. We also don't know the gender of our our rainbow ba- or angel baby, we don't know the miscarriage or the gender, and we don't intend to ever find out until we meet that. Did baby you guess? Again. No. You didn't even try to guess. No. <laughs> I didn't. It was. It, you know. I. I. I once heard a long time ago that there are very few good surprises in life, and having a baby not knowing what the gender is until you meet the baby might be one of those really good surprises. And the person who told that to me, it just never left. It stuck with me. And I, mm-hmm. and I thought, how great would this be? And I am such a planner that people were <laughs> like, I'm so surprised you didn't find out. And I'm like, no, I work so hard for this baby. It doesn't matter. And, and it did give me and my husband excitement, that whole very hard, hard delivery <laughs> to having our baby it just it made it all the more exciting as to what are we about to meet who are we about to meet and it was a boy that is awesome and I love that and I appreciate your honesty in that that I think there's so much and even in other parts that people go well you're supposed to be really thankful so you're supposed to be really excited and and you're supposed to love every second of this and it doesn't change your gratefulness right? Mm-hmm. The, the, of how, you know, excited and that you were that you didn't like pregnancy. Same way, like I had postpartum depression afterwards, after every, with everything with my child. And, you know, people are like, well, you, shouldn't you be excited and thankful? And I'm like, I, I am excited and thankful. It doesn't change biology that, you know, I'm, I'm suffering through some other hormones and issues and things like that. 
And so it's good to normalize all of those things. So I, I appreciate that you're, I always love when people say things that is like, no, really, let's talk about this out loud. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I had a, I had a mother-in-law that was, um, she had, you know, struggled to have my husband and his sister, my sister-in-law, but, um, did not go through IVF or anything. They, they were able to conceive, um, them naturally. Um, but, she would just say, oh, I just loved being pregnant. And then I had some family members also that said, I just love being pregnant. I love, it's so cool. I just love it. I'm like, I don't love it. I don't want anyone touching me. I don't want people going up to me. I don't like that attention of staring at me. And I, and I'm going to be straightforward. I want my size back. I want my Mm. figure back. I want what I'm comfortable in. And, um, And I don't feel that that is inappropriate to say. And I, and I, and it doesn't change how much I want this baby or if I have had two embryos that were suitable for transfer and, you know, I would be able to have another, it wouldn't have changed me continuing the journey that was meant for me, but I will be honest and just say that you can really want something and not enjoy the process getting there and still really enjoy the final result. You obviously, you know, yay, you got to the end result and everything was wonderful. And how long did it take for you to kind of decide to to take this new path and, and start towards writing book? My son was 16 weeks old and I started the business. I, I had a lightning bolt moment that the entrepreneurial bug in me and the person that wanted to just go her, her own path for once, it was a now or never moment. And, um, I, my husband, I called him and I said, listen, I, I've got the desire to do something different now. My, my focus and my passion and my career mind is different. And he said, well, if anyone can do this, it's you. And you know, that, you're going to have to give 110%. You're a new mom and you got this little baby and you're going to start a business and your other baby, the business. Exactly. And you know, we have, we had a dog at the time, little dog that was our fur baby. And so it was, you know, just, you're going to need to give it 110%. So it's not like you can create this one on the side while still working your um, full-time job with a paycheck. And so we decided that um, at 16 versus 16 weeks old, I went in and said, um, it's, you know, it's time for me to make a change and um, mentally balancing walking away from corporate America after 11 years and a career that I was really good at and had future with and deciding that it is time to write a new story for me, literally, and, um, and dive right in. And so I did. Excuse me for the timeline, because I don't know quite when all this happened, but you, you did mention, you alluded to that you have a, a second passion. Did you have an event that led to your, your secondary advocacy as well? And do you mind talking about that? Sure. So um, in the timeline of things, my son was born in 2018 and I started the business in 2018 and I, per- and I uh, published my first book in 2019 and my second book in 2020. And in October of 2020, I suffered sudden cardiac arrest out of nowhere. 
and I was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy. Um, I have heart disease, and I am a survivor now of that. And being 38 years old and now realizing um, that I have a second chance at life and a, uh, a whole new very important topic women need to talk about. Um, I decided to not only be an advocate with infertility, but now with heart disease. And believe it or not, there are a lot of women out there that suffer from both. And so that is what now I I speak about and write about. Um, I have joined forces with the American Heart Association and go red for women. And I recently won the award for, I, I moved from Chicago to Indianapolis last year. And I am the very first Indianapolis Woman of Impact winner with Go Red for Women out Congratulations. here. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. So sharing my story as a young mother um, and as uh, someone who has infertility and someone who suffers from heart disease and someone who's survive sudden cardiac arrest. Wow. Wow. And in the middle of COVID too. (laughs) In the middle of COVID, nothing is related there, but um, yeah, in the middle of that and um, being able to still let people know about focusing in on their health, especially women um, and taking the precautions they need to every day. um, Because after the uh, shock and awe of my husband and my son almost being my husband, a single father, and my son almost growing up without a mom for um, a few days of me um, and what happened. It it was the time where I realized I had to speak up. Do you mind sharing that story? I must have been pretty dramatic to have such a young child and be so young and then go through a heart attack. Yeah, I... Back again, we decided in 2020, we moved from my husband's career to, uh, I'm in Carmel, Indiana, about three hours outside of Chicago, and um, moved, settle in. Like I said, I, I published my second book, and um, I had a two-year-old and my little family, uh, our dog and a cat, and living life, learning new things. No family or friends out here had to start scratch and brand new. Um, and it was going okay. And in October, October 10th, specifically, um, we went to a farm to get pumpkins for our home to decorate. And my family, my parents still live on the South side of Chicago. So they, once a month, will meet up with my son and my husband and I, so they can spend time with Ferris and still see him. And, um, they met us at this farm because it was kind of a good halfway point between Indy and Chicago. And out of nowhere, I suddenly, as we were walking to the pumpkin patch, my left arm went into extreme pain and my chest felt very heavy. Um, and my husband knew something was wrong because I'm a very high tolerance for pain. And this was deliberating pain where I was kind of keeled over in a fetal position and sitting on a pumpkin and not really being too responsive. Wow. Um, so he called 911. And again, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, <laughs> I'm two, I'm an hour and a half from home. Oh. Um, I'm in Eastern time zone here and in, in Carmel. And now I was back in central time <sighs> zone. So um, paramedics came after about 45 minutes oh, wow. and wow. realized, yeah. And realized that there was something wrong. 
um, that they couldn't really tell. They did an EKG and saw there was damage to their heart muscle, but they needed to take me to a hospital that was equipped with cardiology and the local hospital was not. So we had to go an additional 20 minutes, which so now I'm two hours from home, central time zone, and I was in Crown Point, Indiana, um, and went into the ER. Um, my son and I never said goodbye to each other. My husband didn't want him seeing me on a stretcher. And um, so my parents were with my son in the car. My husband was able to come into the ER with me. Um, and I was feeling fine, actually. They gave me some nitroglycerin to open up the valves, and, and I felt great that they wanted to keep me overnight to do additional testing because they weren't quite sure what had happened. Yeah. Um, so um, it was several, several hours in the ER, and then uh, I do not have any memory or recollection of the next part of this. Oh. Um, my husband fills me in, um, but apparently after I was being moved from the ER to a different room on the hospital floor. Um, I started complaining in the wheelchair of chest pains again. And when they were moving me onto another bed, apparently that is when I, um, my heart stopped and I went into sudden cardiac arrest and wow. I was not hooked wow. up to anything. Wow. Um, I did not have any uh, machines on me or nothing. So they did two inch compressions of CPR and broke a bunch of ribs were not able to get the heart going. So they got uh, AED and I was shocked several times. We don't know all the details at that point because actually it was a on-call doctor, a fill-in doctor from another hospital there that saved my life. So I, I, my guardian angel there, I'll, I don't know who she is, but she ended up after the seep, after the compressions and the shocks, um, was able to get my heart started again. But I my breathing was not at the breaths per minute that needed to be at. So I was put into a drug induced coma and on a ventilator and in the ICU for four days. And my husband got a phone call at eleven fifty that night from this doctor who he tells me was extremely shaken. It might have been the first time she ever had something like this happen to her the way that she was talking. Um, and he, she called to tell him that um, I went into cardiac arrest. And if that's the point in which my husband just stood there, he says, at the top of our stairwell and stared out the window, not quite sure what he was about to walk into, telling my son, it's midnight, not sure what he was going about to tell my parents who had decided to stay over because I'm gone and in the hospital everybody thought I was coming home the next day um, and I had to go up and tell my parents what had happened and um, long story short um, I came out of the coma and off the ventilator over 12 hours later I don't have any brain damage I have no recollection of any of this event um, my husband like I said fills me in I was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy um, and I often refer to it as what everyone remembers when they've seen the notebook. Uh, it's, I have Takasubo cardiomyopathy or broken heart disease because they can only refer what happened to me, um, three days prior, my dog had passed away in my arms unexpectedly. And so they think the shock and awe of our dog passing away is maybe what shut it off, but it's wow. not exactly oh, wow. 100% clear yet. So being that I am, um, 
kind of decided to let my medical history be an open book to people. Um, yeah. You know, the American Red Heart or uh, the American Heart Association has kind of joined forces with me, asking me to share my journey as we go along because it's almost will be a year next month. And um, I now live with a defibrillator I had surgically implanted in December. And I, so I have my guardian angel over my heart at all times. And I am back to living as much of a normal life as my new normal is going to be. And it came out of nowhere. I have no prior diagnosis. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. I don't. I'm not overweight. Um, I'm I was say, you mentioned exercising when you were pregnant, yeah. you know, like yeah. you missed that during pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I ran the New York City Marathon in 2019. So oh, I'm wow. glad that I got that done. Um, I'm still learning, like I said, this new lifestyle that I have now with this little thing sticking out of me and my mm-hmm. chest that I've got my scar and it's... Um, I like to say it's the Mercedes-Benz of all defibrillators. It has a 15-year battery life and oh. one wire. So I am equipped with the best of the best. And I have medical teams, not only from that hospital that saved my life, but the hospitals here in Indy, now closer to home, that all work together. Um, I have my son get checked by a cardiologist in the, the children's cardiology department has access to my files because it's it's one of those medical mysteries. And so the more that they can learn as I continue to live, um, the more maybe I can help another person, specifically another woman who might be going undiagnosed with something similar. Um, and that's why I, I speak of both of them, because infertility was what I knew and what I experienced and what I wanted to create a product with to help other children understand where they came from if they came through IVF or their parents went through IUI and maybe changed the words or whatnot. But when I was diagnosed with heart disease and I learned just how rare it is to survive sudden cardiac arrest, and it's happened to me when I was 37 years old, out of nowhere with no prior family history or anything, um, I took a hard look in the mirror and I kind of considered this as like if you were at a paying you know, corporate job and you got a promotion, I, I have my own business and I know I've been speaking about infertility and I know I've been writing and talking about miscarriage awareness, but now I've got this second thing happening to me and I'm still alive. And they're actually very important to all women should be hearing about this. So I'm going to bring this into my business and I'm going to try to help other people. I was going to ask, is Ferris going to talk about this too? <laughs> you know, I've had so many people bring up different ideas for the next book um, and I'm actually also working on a book for women. And, you know, this is going to go, of course, this is going to go into it because it's it's unavoidable. And I, and I think that people aren't realizing just how important focusing on your heart is. You know, if we don't have our heart pumping, kind of all the rest of what's going on underneath our skin isn't going to matter. And they... The truth is one in three women will die of heart disease. Um, and I mean, there's oh. three of us on the phone and are you know, talking. Right. So now I was the one I got to come back. But think, I mean, it's just that's that's insane to think that one in three will die of heart disease. That's one woman every 80 seconds. And so I... I just now literally bring it in and, and I, and I talk about heart disease and I talk about infertility because I'm living proof that 
you can have both and you can be okay. Um, and yet there's stuff that, you know, I feel that with life right now and things going on that are just not being talked about as much and they can't be overshadowed. They can't be overlooked. How, and talk about how you kind of brought the different perspective of talking about IVF from a child's eyes and why, why that especially was so important. Because it wasn't out there and I figured, you know, my son's going to grow up and he's going to be sitting someday in a health class like I was and he's going to learn where babies come from and that's all he's going to learn. And then, and, and the truth is that's not just where babies come from is when a woman and a man have intercourse. And I feel that no longer in society should this be a hush hush topic. Um, I feel that IVF is needs to be something that's completely normal. I feel infertility needs to be talked about, especially if you have a child or a family that's secondary infertility experiencing where you have a little one watching someone go through medications or doctor's visits or um, shots or pills and things like that. Um, and so... I just didn't see anything that was kind of hitting all the marks there from a kid's perspective and very simplified. I'm not looking to write the exact process of IVF for anybody to to tell because that's every story is different. Everybody, whether it's religious or political or financial or physical or mental, you all have your own experience with how you're going to go through infertility. Doctors don't all believe the same thing. Um, You know, when I mentioned genetic testing, I have had people in my face telling me, oh, that's wrong. I would never have done that. You know, that's playing God. And then I have other people like that was your doctors and your decision and you made it for your own reasons. And so why would anyone else have anything to say? So I figured I need to create something that isn't going to rock the boat too much. It'll allow families to talk about um, this very important topic that I just just don't see out there for kids to to learn. And I want specifically my baby to know (laughs) where he came from. And if I want it for my baby, how many other moms or dads out there want it for their baby? Um, so that's why I, I came up with it and I'm very Ferris IVF. It was really, uh, just struck and I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to mess with that. That's exactly what we're going to call it. We're going to move forward. I, you don't need to beat this one. I, it, I came to me and I wrote it down and I had so much fun designing and writing the first book and finding my illustrator that I knew right away once this first one gets done, you got to have another one. And so they get the book, you know, it came a series and now I've got the two books and I had some life moments, you know, between you've got COVID in the world. Um, yes. Me personally, I move and then I have had some, you know, things, you know, cardiac arrest <laughs> that happened. And, but, now we're in 2021 and I'm able to think about, okay, you know, I, I'm settled again and let's get going. Like I said, I would like a third book out there and I'm working on a book for women and my speaking engagements have picked up more and getting my story out there on podcasts and social media and celebrating life through topics basically of my, of my own life that I want to share with others and try to help someone else. So um, that was the whole inspiration and putting pen to paper. And they are my, these books are my babies. I absolutely 
am so passionate. I read every Amazon review, every Barnes and Noble review, every email, good or bad, and and the bad ones sting. But you know what? That that just means someone else. You know, if you're if it was bad to them and they still wrote about it you know, back in the media world, you know, bad press is still press. So <laughs> I, I'll right. take it. Well, we are thankful and in awe of you to take those experiences and really turn them into something that's a resource that helps others. So thank you. Thank you. I, I've had people buy them and tell me one woman in particular, she's like, I don't have any children yet. And my goal is I do become a mom, but I have my book out by the refrigerator where my medicine is. And I look at it when I take my meds because I know then the book's there. And I've had people then tell me they bought the book and they did not go through fertility and they did not go through IVF, but they love to read the book to their child. And I had someone tell me, you know, my child just loves bubble baths. And that's why we bought the very fair six of bubble baths. So it doesn't matter the reason. It's just so cool to hear that people have invited my work into their home and into their lives. And I've earned a place in their four walls for their family. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it just, it's, it's like Christmas day every day time for me when I see something like that. And it just pushes me to keep doing what I'm doing. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming in and joining us and, and sharing part of your life in our little, I guess, not our, our digital four walls. So <laughs> Absolutely. thank you, thank you so you. much. Thank you to Tess for sharing so many good stories. And I, I will say when we initially went to the interview, we did not realize the tangent on heart health that we would be talking about, but it is so important. So I love that her story is so multifaceted and just like life where we're, you know, talking about one subject that really can affect so, so many others that are important to talk about as well. So I, I love the interview that it was just, you know, so many different parts to her story. Absolutely. Get your hearts checked. Go get your lady bits checked. Go do all of the things. Go get your colonoscopies. <laughs> Everybody take care of all of the health. Um, as always, huge thank you to our team and to you who listen to us. Uh, if you have any comments, want to send anything along, any words of encouragement, uh, call us at 303-997-1903. Uh, thank you to our team and thank you to you for listening. Thank you.